All right, let's hear it for our Encounter Band. Thank you, guys. And remember, if you want to hear them play for a really long time, come out to our Trunk or Treat, because that's what they're going to do. They get to play and play and play and play. Okay, so we are in a sermon series on the book of Acts. If you missed the kickoff to that series, uh, that was last week. It's on the website. And I, so I made a joke in the email this week, buckle your seatbelts, but I forget how long Acts is, and I only put aside five weeks to do this, so we're going to go fast, y'all. Uh, I just, I planned out the sermon series, and I was like, oh, we're going to be covering like five chapters in a week. All right, let's do it. Um, so we, uh, this is going to be a, an overview of the book of Acts. We'll do a more in-depth study later, but this is going to provide us the basics of the story, because what I want us to do is I want to focus on what this story is, because this is the story that, that starts the chapter that we're living in, right? So we've talked about like different chapters in the Bible. You know, there was the, the first covenant, and then there was the exile, and then there was the time of Jesus. And this story, the story of the church, is the one that we are living in. And so understanding this story is incredibly important for understanding what we're doing here. And so this is, the sermon series on Sunday morning is going to be a nice pair with the Wednesday night Bible study, or the Wednesday night deeper series that's going on. We had a fantastic kickoff for that last week. If you want to come join in, you can still come join in, even if you didn't make it to last week. Uh, Wednesday nights can be focused on kind of personal, what is the next challenge for me? And then Sunday mornings can be focused on communal, what does God do with this community as the body of Christ? So last week, we talked about... Um, The disciples went to the upper room and experienced Pentecost, which was the birth of the church, which is what took them from just followers of Jesus and made them into a community. And the community, the body of Christ, is what God uses in this age to bring the kingdom of God. And so the primary actors in the book of Acts are God and the church. God uses the church. Um, And we'll see other individuals doing individual things, but it is all in the context of what God is doing through the church. So last week, the church was sort of born, and we had those 3,000 coming to faith. This week, we're going to go through Acts 3 to 7, and we're going to see things happen quickly. And what I'm going to frame this sermon around is, is misconceptions people are having about what is going on. So what is happening in these chapters, Acts 3 to 7, is fundamentally the movement as it's existing in Jerusalem. So if you remember last week at Pentecost, all these Jewish people from all over the world were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And then they heard the gospel when the Holy Spirit arrived and the disciples went out preaching 3,000 of those Jewish people came to faith, and the church was born, and then they all stayed in Jerusalem. Because if you, you know, let's say that you were traveling, let's say you were traveling to Jerusalem for Easter one year to celebrate Easter, and then Jesus came back while you were there. Like, do you think you would want to go home? No, (laughs) you would want to stay and see what was happening. And so when they came and they experienced this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, all of these um, pilgrims, in essence, stayed in Jerusalem. And so Christians were just overflowing Jerusalem. Um, And the mission was happening in Jerusalem, specifically at this point, only to Jewish people. It was a proclamation of what God was doing in Israel. 
And what we're going to see in these chapters is what happens because the next chapter is the gospel is going to go to non-Jewish people. But during this chapter, it's all centered in Jerusalem and all around the proclamation to the Jewish people. Okay, so they are preaching in the temple every day. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple in the hour of prayer at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. But Peter said this, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate in the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now, this is one of several miracles we're going to see throughout the book. And as I pointed out last week, the miracles are part of the gospel message, right? So lame becoming whole, dead raising to life. All of this is a part of the gospel message. But one of the interesting things to point out is that the gospel is more than just healing the sick, curing the lame. Because if that were all it was, then we would see no more sick people in the rest of the story. But that's not the case. In fact, we see lots of sick people in the rest of the story. We see lots of lame people who aren't cured in the rest of the story and come to life, I mean, come to faith. What we see in these miracles is not just God curing the lame. It is God performing miracles in order to get people's attention that something important is happening. Because when God cures this man who is lying at the gate and he begins jumping up and praising God, everyone notices Everyone knows he has been lame from birth. And when they come in the temple and they start and he starts dancing, everyone then listens to what the disciples are saying. And everyone knows that these disciples are not just crazy people. They're not just drunk. They're not just, they're not just um, members of a crazy new cult. You don't get a person lame from birth cured unless God is doing something. And so this is one of many miracles that's going to happen for the purpose of getting people's attention so that they listen to what the Holy Spirit is up to. And what is the Holy Spirit up to? The Holy Spirit is up to this proclamation of this message that God is doing something on earth through the name of Jesus. Now, what I find fascinating about this particular passage is the dialogue that goes before this healing. So when the man looks at Peter, expecting to receive something, because his entire life he had been lying on a mat asking for money, because he had no way of making a living, he had no way of, of earning a living, existing society, other than begging. And so he would lie by the temple gate begging for money, which is probably the most dehumanizing way to spend your life. <laughs> Possibly not the most, but one of the most dehumanizing ways to spend your life. 
And that line, when um, Peter says, look at me, and he looks at him, that's heartbreaking because you know how many people never looked at him, right? How many people never met his eye? And so he looks at them, expecting to receive money. And Peter says this, silver or gold have I not. Silver or gold have I not. But what I have I give you. You want money. You're asking for money. But what you need is not actually money. What you need is to be healed. And that I can give you. And so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, take up your mat and walk. And what I find fascinating about that is I think this is one of many paradigms that we're going to see in this part of Acts about people who misunderstand what the gospel is about and perhaps even misunderstand what they fundamentally want from God. This beggar is not the only one who thinks that they want money to fix all of their problems. This beggar is not the only one who has sought, probably prayed for, money in order to fix all of their problems. In fact, if anyone had an excuse to pray for money, it was the beggar, right? Because what else is he going to do? And yet God looks at him and God says, you don't actually need more money, but what you need, I can give you. Friends, it is not only the physically lame who pray for money to fix their problems. In fact, in, for many of us, because we are well on the outside, it is much more insidious. It is much more insidious because it's not apparent from the outside that we absolutely need this to fix our problems. And yet, from where we are standing, we are thinking, if I just get a little bit more, or a little bit more, or a little bit more, then my life will finally be easy. I've, I've had this conversation with people who say, I will tithe once I make a certain amount, right? If I can just make a little bit more, then I'll be comfortable enough to do what I want to do. I will finally be able to give once I get... And the gospel comes in and says, what you need is not more money. What you need is something spiritual that you can't even name right now because you are, don't know what it is. But Jesus can give it to you. Jesus can give it to you. Silver and gold have I not. But what I have I give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you are healed. You are cured of the spiritual thing within you that is not allowing you to do the ministry, the work, the vocation to which you have been called by God. The movement of the gospel that we are going to see is, it's not that money is bad. People get money. People use money. We're going to see money come in and out of the story for a, a lot. But the movement of the gospel is not primarily and fundamentally about believers getting wealthy. And folks, you'll hear that, right? You will hear that preached. The movement of the gospel, you might get money. You will definitely be called to use money. But it is not primarily and fundamentally about believers getting wealthy. It is about the movement of the Holy Spirit and God curing, God healing, God bringing life where it needs to be brought. Now, I do need to acknowledge that the church, like most of the world, has forgotten this lesson over the many, many years that the church has been in existence in fact, one of my favorite stories comes from the Middle Ages. You guys know the name Thomas Aquinas? Thomas Aquinas, the great doctor of the church, goes to Rome one time. I have no idea if this story is true, but it's such a great story. Goes to Rome one time, meets with the Pope, 
And the Pope is sitting behind this great pile of money that is laid out in front of him. They're counting the treasury. And of course, at that point, the church has started taxing people. And when you tax people, you can get a whole lot of money. And when you tell people they have to pay a certain amount of money to the church in order to get into heaven, boy, you get even more money that way. And so the church was gold-plated and gilded and people sitting in all these fine linens and this pope sitting behind all of these piles of money. And the pope said to Thomas Aquinas, you see, Thomas, no more can the church say, silver and gold have I not. And Thomas looks back and says, neither can the church say, stand up and walk. Burn. Man, if you ever come up with a comeback that good, you should just drop the mic and walk out of the room. But it was true, right? So not only is it the best comeback in the history of church history, but it's true. The more we turn our attention toward what we think we want, if it is not what God wants for us, the less we are able to accept what God is giving us. And you know what? God might give you money because God might want you to use it. But the more we turn our attention toward the silver and gold as the end in and of itself, we will lose the movement. We will lose the power. We will lose the ability to be the vessel of God in saying to ourselves, to our friends, to the world, stand up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what you truly need, I give you. That's the first misconception we see. The second misconception comes... Uh, Acts chapter 5, which is one of the, I don't know if anyone's ever heard a sermon preached on this. This is one of the um, darker and more disconcerting chapters of the entire Bible, Ananias and Sapphira. Anyone heard a sermon preached on this? Okay, so here's how, (laughs) it ends in death, so (laughs) just warning you, here's how the story goes. The believers were gathered together, and because they were all in Jerusalem, they were taking care of each other. And so you remember, there were these 3,000 that were packed in from all over the world. Not very many of them were actually living in Jerusalem, and so they were taking care of each other. They were sharing their possessions. It said there was no poor among them because they were um, sharing what they had to take care of each other. Um, In fact, that actually fulfilled this ancient Deuteronomic promise of there will be no poor among you. And so during this kind of brief moment of this mission in Jerusalem, the believers were sharing everything they have, taking care of each other. And so no one was in need. Um, they They all just took care of each other. And immediately before this passage, one of the believers, who was a, um, a priest, actually, who'd come to the faith, he sold a piece of property. And he said, you know what? This mission is so important. I'm going to sell a piece of property. I'm going to give a lot of money, and I'm going to give it all to the church um, because you need it, and I see what you're doing with it, and you need this to take care of people. And he did it publicly, and so everyone noticed And when he did it publicly, there was a couple who watched that happening. And they said in their hearts, wow, man, you see that admiration he's getting? You see how people admire how generous he is? Boy, wouldn't it feel good for people to say that about us? Wouldn't it feel good for people just to notice how holy we are and how generous we are and how good we are? Wouldn't it feel good for people to just praise us for our generosity the way they praised Barabbas? And so this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they also have property, and they sell it. And they decide together, we're going to keep some of it for ourselves, and we're going to bring the rest to the church. But, and this is the important part, 
we're going to tell them that we brought the whole thing. Because we want, we want it to look like we have sacrificed everything for the message. We want to look like we, are, we have sacrificed everything for this gospel. And we want everyone to think how generous we are. And so Ananias comes in first. And he brings this money. And he says, this is everything. And Peter looks at him in astonishment and in dismay because this is the first this is the first sign of corruption that's happened within the church. You know, we have all of these, these stories that as soon as the kingdom of God starts, you start getting sin creeping in, the weeds and the tares, and that's just the way it is, but this is the first kind of weed that's come up within the church. And Peter looks at him in astonishment, and he says, that property was yours. It's no sin to keep it. It's no sin to sell it. It's no sin to sell it and keep it. Like, nothing, none of that was a sin. You could have done anything you wanted to, and yet you chose the only sinful thing, which was to lie. Which was to lie. And he said, because you have lied to the Spirit of God. Um, what is the actual word? Because you have lied. How is it that you've agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Um, you did not lie to us, but to God. And when Ananias heard those words, he fell down dead. So it's like he had a heart attack. He heard those words and he, was, he fell down dead. And the young men came and carried him out. And then the scene repeated with his, his wife, Sapphira. Sapphira comes in and they ask her, did you, did you guys sell the property for this amount? And did you give it all to the church? And she said, yes, we gave it all to the church. And the same thing happens to her. She hears these words, you have lied not to us but to God. And she also falls down dead and is carried out and is buried. Um, and then in the most understated line of the entire Bible, great fear seized the whole church. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> um, so here's the thing with Ananias and Sapphira. It says over and over again, look. It was not a sin to have the property. It was not a sin to keep the property. It was not a sin to sell the property. It was not a sin to even sell the property and keep the money. It was a sin to lie. And why did they lie? Because what they thought they wanted was for everyone to notice how wonderful they were. Friends, I want to tell you there are people, many people, who are motivated not by a love of money, but by a love of adoration, of admiration, of other people's attention. And I'll tell you what, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it sure can make you compromise, and it sure can make you sin. <laughs> because what Ananias and Sapphira wanted most was not actually to help the body. What Ananias and Sapphira wanted most was not actually to participate in the mission. What Ananias and Sapphira wanted most was for people to love them and admire them and tell them how wonderful they are and tell them how great they are. And you know what? I don't know who needs to hear this, but for some of you, the word of the Lord this morning is this. What you need most is not what other people think of you. What you need most in life is not good thoughts from other people. It is not accolades. It is not admiration. All of the, like money, all those things might come. You might get them. You might receive them. But if you are aiming for them, you're going to miss the kingdom. If you're aiming for them, you're going to miss the kingdom. That's the second thing we see in this section. So Acts 
3, silver and gold have I not. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. And then the next section we get comes from the middle of Acts 5 all the way through Acts 7. And here's what happens is they finally start getting severe pushback from leadership. So the, as they've been preaching this, ministry, this mission, this gospel, people have been coming to faith all along. In fact, even, even priests have been coming to faith. So Barnabas, the person who gave that money, was a priest, a Levite, who had come to the Christian faith. So their, their mission, their movement has been incredibly successful and also increasingly dangerous because the more they are preaching, the more the religious leaders begin to push back. And these are the same religious leaders who crucified Jesus, and they are not a fan of what's happening, although some of them are open to the idea of God doing something. So Gamaliel, this, uh, this, this one of the rabbis, after they arrest Stephen, I mean, after they arrest Peter, Gamaliel says, guys, these people just performed a miracle. Pay attention. If this is, a, if this is not of God, it's going to die out, but if it is of God... You will find yourselves fighting against God if you keep doing this. And so they listen to him for a moment. They release the disciples. And then the very next chapter here is what we see. It gets to be too much. So one of the, one of the um, leaders that has been named is a servant called Stephen. And Stephen was one of the, the people who was, um, he, this is where, uh, named a deacon in the church, a servant in the church. And he is arrested, and he is brought before the temple leadership, and he starts preaching, and it's the same message that they've been preaching over and over again, but then he gets personal with it, and he preaches personally against the leadership that is in place, and he actually, so let me find, this is Acts chapter 7, the speech to the council, he ends with, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets does your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteousness, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. He gets personal. He is standing in the midst of the high priests. And he preaches this fire and sprint somewhat against them. Now, I want to pause for a second. Friends, that is exactly what all the prophets said over and over and over again. It's as though I came in to a room and I started preaching from some of the more uh, direct parts of the prophets saying, you need to check yourself. You need to look at your heart. Because you are not attending to the word of God. You are not doing what you were called to do. You are not living up to the person God had called you to live up to. Friends, what is the proper religious response to that? It's to look inside your heart, right? It's to actually, this is scriptural. It's to heed the words of scripture. It's to heed the words of scripture to actually look inside your heart and check where you might be going astray and being unfaithful because you know what? We are all human, we are all sinners, and we are all going to be unfaithful. But what did these religious leaders do? They heard those words, which were actually of the prophets. They heard those words, and they were so offended that they were being attacked personally that they dragged Stephen out and stoned him to death. 
Now, in, in Jesus' execution, they used Rome. So they actually went through a political process, a judicial process to get Rome to execute him. This was actually illegal. The authorities at the time were not allowed to execute people. And so dragging Stephen out and stoning him was the equivalent of an illegal lynching. But they were so offended by what he said that they dragged him out and they stoned him. Now, I want you to put yourself in the place of those religious leaders. Right? It's very easy for us 2,000 years later to look back and to say, look how terrible they were. We would never have had stones in our hands. But I want to tell you guys, I've lived for the last two years. I've seen almost everyone in America pick up a stone at some point. What the religious leaders got wrong is they thought the most important thing was their personal ideology, worldview, and power. And if anything threatened that, they were against it. Well, friends, here's the problem. The kingdom of God is going to threaten it. No matter who it is, no matter what it is. Personal ideology, worldview, power. There's not a person on earth that will not be threatened by the kingdom of God when it shows up. Jesus is going to find things wrong with you. Jesus is going to find things wrong with what you believe. Jesus is going to find things wrong with how you live. Jesus is going to want to take some of your power away and use it for the kingdom. Jesus might even want to take all of your power away and use it for the kingdom. And those who find that offensive are going to wind up with stones in their hands. Friends, the word of the Lord this morning is this. The kingdom of God is not silver or gold. The kingdom of God is not public accolades. The kingdom of God is not power, political, religious, or otherwise. At least not in that sense of the word. The kingdom of God is power in the sense of being able to walk with God. But the kingdom of God is not authoritarian power of our own making. The kingdom of God is life with God. The kingdom of God is being a part of the mission of God. And what happens after this, after the stoning of the Stephen, is that ministry that was in Jerusalem then breaks open and goes to the ends of the earth. Because people leave Jerusalem, surprising, right? People leave Jerusalem, they go home. And the persecution of the church begins, but the spreading of the gospel also begins. And wherever they go, they take the gospel with them from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that spreading of the gospel is where the story picks up next week. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, we are grateful for what you've given us. We're grateful for the story that's been told. We're grateful for everything that you have um, put in front of us. We forgive, forgive us for the times that we have not entered into your story and forgive us for the times we've wanted something other than what you've been offering. For the times that we have wanted money instead of the gospel, forgive us. For the times that we have wanted public admiration instead of the gospel, forgive us. For the times that we've wanted our own power and our own control instead of the gospel, forgive us. Because we want to be yours. We want to be a part of your mission and we want to be part of your kingdom. And so come, forgive us we pray and free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. This we pray as we say together the prayer our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.